0: You're listening to Pacific Post Ups, an NBA podcast covering the Pacific Division, with your hosts Lewis Dade and Nick Boyle. Let's get into it.
1: Hello, and welcome into an even more special edition of the Pacific Post Ups. Nick, I'm sitting about a meter away from you. This is enthralling. Uh I'm also sitting directly across from special now becoming semi-regular guest James. Boys, what a time to be alive.
0: Podcasts in person. It's uh it's very eerie and funny to be meeting a person who I've been talking to on Skype for the better part of what, eighteen months now, though? So it's it's good to finally put a, a physical face add uh, to the voice and likewise James it's uh, good to be sitting with you both uh, to talk some hoops particularly for a team that is I would say very near and dear to your heart James
2: yeah I mean I basically support about 15 teams at this point but I guess Sac was, Sacramento was one of the first teams I kind of supported before I just, just started disregarding norms about you know supporting less than or choosing one team to support, really. So, uh, yeah, Sac, yeah, Sac. Uh, got a fair bit of love for him. So, pretty excited for this this edition.
0: Absolutely. So, Sacramento Kings are the team on the docket this week. Uh, just sort of before we get into what happened, what is happening this season for Sacramento. Last year, the what felt like the same old, same old, though with a few different wrinkles um, for the Kings. So, the playoff draft continues. 2006, the last time they were rocking up in the postseason, it's a it's a record that they've uh, continued to push out, and it's it's not a record they want to be setting. Finishing with a 30 and 52 record, um, is what ended up being a pretty interesting season. Lou heading into it, um, in terms of the what what they were going to do with their guard balance with Halliburton, Fox, and Mitchell. They decided to make a trade and it probably wasn't the trade people were expecting when they sent Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald over to the Indiana Pacers for DeMontis Sabonis and a couple of other little uh, secondary players. Uh, That trade, I think, when it happened was one of the more shocking ones that we saw in the NBA last season. Um, A few months on now, knowing that they're going in with a, a very different look on this roster, how do you sort of look back on that trade for Sacramento?
1: Look, my thoughts are probably going to be a little bit more diplomatic than I'm guessing what James is going to serve up uh, for the listeners, but yeah, at the time it was, I guess on paper I can understand the trade from a fit perspective as far as, you know, the there was definitely a jam at the guard position and, and Sabonis, and we'll touch on this more later, and how he can intertwine with Fox. It certainly made some sense, but the, the win-now move, again, when they're in a position where it didn't feel like they were really within reach... Um, that was the part that I guess shocked me the most, and I, I did also feel like potentially that the the assets weren't aligned, strictly speaking. Um, you know, I, I felt like perhaps Sacramento probably could have grabbed a little bit more from that trade. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly want to throw to James on this one because I, I feel like he's been pretty vocal on on Twitter, particularly at the time about the the trade. James, so were you pro uh, the Sabonis trade or anti the Sabonis trade from the Kings' perspective?
2: Um, yeah, honestly. I think initially I was pretty uh, had a pretty favourable look on it. But I was a bit more optimistic at that point about Fox, Rashawn, Sabonis kind of working together and in, you know, six months on or whatever, you know, Rashawn might have played ten minutes with Sabonis and it was pretty clunky, so and that's the thing. If it ends up being, you know, Halliburton healed and then reduced minutes for Holmes, who was a really high impact player for the Kings these last couple of years. If that's a lot, if, if that's a sacrifice you make to bring in Sabonis, then, yeah, then you know it becomes really kind of questionable. And I agree that like, you know, if, ideally, if you're talking about like long-term vision and you know asset maximization and stuff like that, that it probably wasn't the best trade. But um, I mean, still, uh, I'm still a bit optimistic. I, I like, I really like Sabonis and Fox in terms of, I think. I mean, Fox alone, Fox isn't like Trey Young or like Luka Doncic who can carry an offense by himself. I think he needs help. And then I think in that regard, I think, you know, Haliband was probably not quite on, you know, the timeline that suits Vivek and the, the Kings franchise. You know, every year that kind of playoff monkey extends, it just becomes even more, you know, big of you know, team just becomes more desperate to to break that. So
0: I think I think that you touch on a really good point because it almost feels like they just want to make the playoffs. They're not building for success in the playoffs sometimes. And this overestimation sometimes of Sa- Sacramento's own opinion of where they're at as a team can really shoot them in the foot a little bit. So they're thinking that they're a little bit closer and, you know, that they thought that this bonus trade potentially was the shot in the arm they needed to try to make a you know a run for the play-in tournament. And it didn't end up working out. Obviously, Fox had some injury issues um, and had a, a bit of an inconsistent season, finished it really well. Um, but yeah, it, it, Sacramento's sort of, I don't know, inability sometimes to have a to show a bit of patience, I think is is something that they, you know, is a little bit of a problem for them. Um, it'll be in, sort of intriguing to see if that's... A, yeah, something that they decide to do again this season. Yeah, it's happened,
2: not... happened before as well, hasn't it? Like the 2019 offseason, um, like their best season in a while, and then they went and signed three guys who were over 30 or something with Areza, Joseph, and Deadman, and then I think two of them were gone by midway through the year yep, in the end. So it's a bit of the, you know, repeating the same old mistakes. The sack, I guess it's good that Sabonis is 26, you know, he's not actually... A, on the tail end of his career. But, um, yeah, it's a bit of... But, you know, some small market teams, you know, just have to just do that. You know, if you look at the Bucs, even with Giannis, there were a litany of, you know, kind of little mistakes on the margins there. Um, Obviously, Giannis, more generational player than Fox, but, you know, it's kind of... it's It's pretty hard for any small market team to kind of avoid a few, you know, things like that, whether that's... You know, trying to duck the luxury tax by, you know, saving ten or twenty million there, or you know, not not using a second round pick every now and then. It just it's just kind of it's kind of one of the NBA small market team things, I think. Yep,
0: makes it certainly tricky.
2: And sort of with that, I mean, they have
0: made a, a great deal of changes to their roster for this season. I think a lot of them we like. Start with the outs, Lou. Um You want to take us through sort of who's now no longer a king. And we might sort of have a look at, yeah, a couple of those names and if it, there really are any sort of alarm bells for who they've lost.
1: Yeah, so uh, Justin Holiday and Mo Harkless are both outs uh, as part of that trade to Atlanta, um, which brought back in uh, Kevin Herter, I believe. So we'll get to that one a little bit later. Uh, Damian Jones, fan favorite here on the Pacific Post Ups. He's a Laker. Uh, someone that I think was very, very happy to be out of Sacramento, Dante DiVincenzo. Um your guy, Nick, over in the Warriors and, you know, he he that's another trade that objectively I guess failed. It'd be very interesting to see what they you know, what what whether there was any interest in re signing him or what that looked like, but it felt like that relationship had, had broken down. Um and uh Josh Jackson and Jeremy Lamb both leaving Sacktown as well. I guess for me, and I'm interested to see what you guys think that there's no one here that, that was really a massive needle mover on the roster, but I think what it does clear up is that there are a couple of these guys, and the one that really stands out to me is probably Moe Harkless that was sucking up minutes that I would have liked to see going to other other players. Um, James, you've obviously watched this team a little bit closer. Who's probably the biggest loss there as far as their pursuit of a playoff berth this year?
2: Oof. Um, I would say last season, probably once the first five or so games passed, and they were as much of the same. I didn't pay as much attention to them, so... I um, probably haven't actually outwatched the Kings compared to you two, but um Um I think oh, I would probably say Justin Holiday and Harkless really just because probably less so holiday. Oh I mean the wing position in general I don't like the sack has struggled to address that for 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 a few years now. They thought Barnes was probably that that solution and then his kind of athleticism sort of fell off pretty soon after coming to the Kings, even if he's randomly had a little bit of an offensive playmaking development, which was nice. but um, He's sitting more at like a four now than a three. Yeah, sitting at a four probably, yep. And, um, yeah, so uh, I think I agree with Lou. Um, When I saw Harkless, you know, suit up, I was a bit frustrated just because – it's kind of like a little symbol of all of the problems you know playing a 30 year old vet who clearly isn't who he used to be defensively anyway um, over someone with a you know a bit more upside you know like a Chemezi Medu or someone Um, but you know I think by the lineup data you know lineups with Harkless were probably still a bit better at least in some cases because you know like, like it was Harkless or Metu or Bagley for a lot of last year right and then you know, Bagley had a couple of good games on LeBron, if I remember correctly, but then he probably also had a few, you know, he's got his issues defending the perimeter, Medus as well, he's probably lacks a bit of foot speed to play the three, and then he's got his own issues, you know, defensively and stuff. Um, So, yeah, none of those were perfect solutions, but Harkless was an option, and, and yeah, so we'll see, we'll see what they do there this season. They got, they brought more back which I was really happy with um, and then Okpala is another new option but yeah we'll see because it, do- it doesn't seem that they've really made a clear upgrade on Harkless I would say at this stage and then if that's the case then you know I think you'd rather have a Harkless and nothing to be honest but uh, we'll see but in general I, like, I agree with Lou I don't, I don't think like even if all of those players were brought back or we had the option to bring back all these players this season I think only Holiday would Oh, gee, I don't even know. Yeah. Maybe Holiday or Dante would play 10 or 15, something like that. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I
0: think the roster's sort of shifted around a little bit from having like a glut of fives to now quite a lot of wings that's sort of gone the other way. Um, So it'd be interesting to sort of see how that works under Mike Brown. I mean, the the, the Damien Jones one was a, a little bit of a loss, so you could kind of see it coming a little bit. Um, I mean, I'd rather him playing on the roster over Alex Len. Um, But, you know, if he's... He probably understands that minutes for him are probably going to be a bit harder to come by, particularly considering um, they're obviously looking at maybe playing a little bit smaller. You're getting Keegan Murray in there, um, and then Rashawn Holmes is getting pushed down the depth chart. So, and DJ is not going to play over him. Um, yeah, Yeah, honestly, yeah.
2: yeah. In that regard, like if it'll be interesting to see what they do with him, because obviously we'll discuss this later in one of our talking points. But, um. I thought if Holmes is gonna stay and be the like the backup center, then like I would, I actually don't mind a Len or a Quetta as your third guy, offering something a little bit different to you know Sabonis or Holmes. So I think uh, I do like Jay Jones as well, but um, you know I think he is a little bit similar in his strengths to a Rashawn, you know, with his kind of energy, rebounding, mm. mobility, all that stuff. So yep.
0: And then Lou in if, uh, this might take half the podcast to go through the amount of
1: people who are joining the Sacramento Kings, but yeah, take us through them. Look, I think the headline's got to be Delhi Matthew Dellavedova. <laughs> um, you know, I, no, all, all Australian jokes aside, we'll all, all NBL second, second team jokes, jokes aside. aside, that's it. We'll, we'll circle back to Delhi at the, the end of this list. But um, you know, James obviously mentioned that they uh, they didn't particularly replace Harkless. Well, they could have replaced him positionally by drafting Keegan Murray. Um, who has done everything he can so far to impress people, despite the sentiment. And I'll put my hand up and say that I was one of them, that he was probably drafted one spot too high. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, again, Summer League can be misleading, but he's so far done really well. Um, Keon Ellis, undrafted on a two-way deal. Uh, another one that I think is worth taking a look at. Nick, is that someone that you've uh, got any initial thoughts on how likely he is to play with the main team? or do you think he'll be playing with the G League? Well,
0: I reckon mostly with the G League, but I don't think he'll look out of place if he gets called up. Um, you know, defensively, I liked what he was doing in summer league and, um, you know, offers a bit of 3 and D um, prospects at the, at the guard spot, which I think, you know, they're pretty sort of translatable skills regardless of what level you're playing at. So um, if he does get a, um, a chance to, to show his wares, I don't think he'll, he'll look out of place. Um, hopefully he gets more of a, an opportunity than someone like Luke King.
1: I will let you pronounce this next name as well as the pronunciation king on this podcast. Nick, who
0: have we got? Chema So, he's uh, got a partially guaranteed deal. Um born in Canberra. I'm pretty sure I lived in Canberra. Um, very good friends with Dante Exum. Um, and uh, obviously, there's a bit of a connection there with Mike Brown, considering he uh, did spend some time playing for the Nigerian national team, was part of that Uh Friendly um, exhibition win over the States. Uh, didn't end up making the final roster for the Olympics, but proved uh, quite impactful um, in in the limited of time that you'd have there. But last played with Manresa in the, in the FIBA Champions League, actually won the MVP um, for that competition, averaging 13.6 and a bit rebounds and assists per game. So, um, I I like what he could potentially do. Plays above his 6'6 frame. Um, someone who's very versatile, I think, defensively. Um, not got the most expansive offensive game, but in terms of someone who can cut, move, finish with athleticism, um, has a really good motor, plays with a lot of energy. I think that he's someone that you would want on your team. So I'm looking forward to seeing him get the
1: chance. I don't think Mike Brown would have bought over one of his national team members without having consideration for the likelihood of them playing. Uh, You know, I think he's very mindful of the development uh, of those guys. And, you know, we might circle back to it later, but obviously his involvement in that national team has been extremely... Selfless, um, you know the the conversation I get with well, the player. I guess that in theory should make the biggest shake up to the rotation um, was that they traded what I believe was a protected first round pick that rolls over a couple of times for for Kevin Herder from Atlanta, Kavon Red Velvet, depending on whatever you want to call him. Um, he's a he's a guy that I think is really hopefully going to flourish. Um, I, I always felt like potentially was was marginalised a tiny bit in Atlanta based on the fact that kind of everyone that isn't either setting the screen for Trey Young or being Trey Young can be marginalized at times in that offense. Uh, but he's someone I think that, given some extra reps, could certainly take some pressure off of uh, you know off of De'Aaron Fox and can also really slide between a, a starting role and a bench role if needed, depending on who fleshes out. Um, James, the, the name that I guess we're, we're most excited to flesh out with you here is, is Malik Monk. Um,
0: don't talk about him too much now. i got to save something for later. No,
1: <laughs> signed over from the Lakers. You know, he, he signed for a relatively cheap deal with the Lakers last year, hoping to hoping to make his money back. And I, I certainly think that move paid off. I think the Lakers will actually, will actually miss him this year. Uh, James, are you happy that uh, Malik Monk is in Sacramento? Is this a good fit for, for where you think his career is at?
2: Yeah, I think, um, obviously, I think anyone familiar with, you know, Kentucky basketball, when they saw Fox and Monk, you know, reuniting, when they when they reenact that, you know, sitting in the in the bleachers photo, that's gonna be one of the hypest things ever. But there was there was that. I think, um, fit wise, it wasn't my favourite fit, but at the same time I think Malik's at the stage where, you know, he's kind of he's reached his ceiling minutes wise, I think, in at, in his current basketball level, I guess. Like, you know, without if he if he can't take a step defensively or with his handle or in the mid-range or something, this is just where he's at. He's a kind of six-man type or a backup shooting guard type who, you know, when hot can uh, can close the game. But, um, yeah, he's, I think this is just – in. so, yeah, saying that it's not the greatest fit, I think, you know, he's, he's at that point where he's not going to be able to, you know, readily choose a team that's going to, you know, drop all their other priorities to kind of – fit him in, so, yeah, and then, um, I think, basketball-wise, I mean, I love the fit with the two bigs, I mean, because Malik's always played really well with, um, just bigs who, you know, know how to play in the pocket, set good screens, screens, know when to slip, stuff like that, Rashawn, Sabonis, uh, know how to pass a bit, Rashawn and Sabonis, you know, uh, they certainly fit that bill, so I'm really excited for that, so, um, yeah, like, I mean, I really like the roster offensively. A lot of passing and shooting, I think. So, and then, yeah, so, um, I think it's a roster where if he, you know, breaks out, takes that lead defensively or offensively, then there's, there's room for him to play a starting or closing type role. But, um, uh, if not, then, yeah, then, uh, he's probably not playing as many minutes. But, um, I, def- I definitely think the, uh, surrounding pieces are there for him to you know take that real leap from you know from bench shooting out to a legit above average starter type um which i've kind of been predicting for like three <laughs> years in a row now so he's he just if you're listening to this malik you know now would be a good time now's the time, now's the time. Now's the time yeah um but yeah Now nah, he he you know obviously shooting um yeah, it's no, definitely good signing for the mid, mid-level, I reckon. And one of the things with Sabonis quickly that, you know, losing Haliban he'll that uh, that is losing a fair bit of offense, but Sabonis does kind of reduce the, you know, especially the ball handling you need to kind of initiate a bit of offense. Um, so I think he's going to pair really well with Huda and Malik, and then maybe, you know, maybe this year... The level of you know creation they do actually might mirror what Halliburton and Hield were doing the year they left. So, um, yeah, just a little side note there, I guess.
1: You, look, you're, you're certainly right. Um, we'll touch on the Sabonis offensive side a little bit later because I think that's really going to be a wrinkle they have to explore further this year. Um, Kent Bazemore, who left the Warriors last year to go to the Lakers in pursuit of a championship, uh, didn't make the playoffs, is now leaving the Lakers to go to the Kings in pursuit of making the playoffs. Um I don't think he'll be getting a ton of burn, but he's a handy guy to have, right? You know, he can he's you know, he's able to kind of in theory when his three ball's going down and when he's applying himself and not over extending on defense, he can be three and D. Um and you know, again, he's certainly a tool you'd rather you'd like to have in the cupboard, I think, as a as a member of the coaching staff. Uh, I guess just quickly, Nick, you've got a fair bit of experience with, with Kent Basemore. Has he got anything left in the tank or is this maybe his last contract?
0: It was a really interesting year for him because I think what Opening night against the Warriors, he would look pretty good. He defended Steph well. Um, everyone's thinking, "Oh, you know, Warriors are absolute idiots for trying to like let him go <laughs> and not like try harder to keep him." And then the rest of the season happened, um, and he played himself out of the rotation for the Lakers basically because he just couldn't hit a shot, and then really struggled to sort of he was injured, and then he just got a lot of DNPs. Um, kind of came back in the rotation a little bit towards the end of the season, but it, it felt like his uh, papers were stamped a little bit and just couldn't get back in there. Um, but I still think he's got a little bit to offer. Um, you know, he played some pretty um, handy minutes the last time he was in Sacramento and um I don't think that he's going to be, you know, the first reserve called on. I'm not even sure if he might be the second or the third reserve called on. But as you, you sort of said, Lou, that his uh, skill set um, is, you know, offering a little bit of 3 and D um, is, someone, is something that you'd like around. And from all accounts as well, he's a really good locker room guy. He's always been a really positive personality to have on the sidelines. So, um, considering this is a Sacramento Kings team that's, you know, hasn't been to the playoffs. Um, having some guys who have sort of been around uh, and been a part of some winning cultures, I, I think is a, is a very good thing um, as well. James KZ Apala is another one who, I'm well, a bit surprised actually to sort of see him sort of pop up for the Kings. Um, I haven't watched a lot of Miami Heatball and I haven't watched a lot of KZ play um, or KZ, um, considering yeah, where we are. Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> um, what are we expecting to get out of him? Because you were talking about sort of, you know, we're looking for some defensive uh, minded players, um, some athletic kind of guys who can provide a little bit on that side of the floor. Um, is there a role for him under Mike Brown?
2: Yeah, I think there is. Um, so you brought up the warm up Nigeria versus US game before the Olympics, and KT was a prominent part of that. Guarded Lillard the whole game, picked him up full court, um, switched any action with the five. So they trusted him to, you know, box out and other five I guess so yeah pretty versatile defender um I think yeah I think he um because there isn't really like a 6'8 6'9 height you know long quick guy on the roster you know you've got like a Barnes or a Murray or even a Metu you could theoretically throw on um You know, a Tatum or a Doncic, that sort of thing. But I don't think... um, I think Okapalo is better suited than all of them to guard those types. I don't think he's going to be like, you know, Andrew Wiggins level defense, you know, specialist defender for that. But I think he is the best option we got there. And then uh, offensively, um, yeah, he hasn't quite figured it out. I think there's a little bit there. um, There's some nice drives he has. But I think for the most part, he hasn't quite figured it out. And then obviously Miami... The last couple of years, um, yeah, they're, they're gunning for a championship every single year. So they've they've been through the conveyor belt of veteran NBA fringe power forwards um, as a result because they're looking for guys who can just really contribute now. So he got stuck a bit behind, um, you know, Mark F. Morris, P.J. Tucker, um, Trevor Reza, Mo Harkless um, in his time in Miami. He always had an injury rookie year, so there's just a few things that kind of didn't give him probably the, the leeway to make some mistakes and stuff. And then I think now that he is entering year four, he's, you know, kind of Miami had to deal with most of the growing pains, but hopefully most of those are over, um, and he's figured a rollout for him. And then uh, kind of like, I think it's almost kind of like, you know, Bagley with the Kings and then moving to Detroit, you know, um, the Kings had to deal with his, you know, just yeah, growing pains on both ends. You know, learning how to play as a wing on offensively, learning how to deal with less touches, learning how to, you know, rotate stuff like that. And then by the time he got to Detroit, it was a much more of a, you know, finished product. Uh, not well, not a finished product, but much more able to survive without being a focal point of the offense. And I hope I'm hoping off Offaly is a little bit like that. Obviously, probably not the same offensive tools as, as Bagley, but um yeah so I think defensively he definitely definitely offers something covers ground long can block a shot um you know slides his feet so yeah I, I like it and um I mean the fact that Mike Brown you know in the Olympics trusted him to guard you know the point of attack against the you know the point guard for the US I think that shows he trusts him so I really hope he does um yeah, get a good crack at that backup small forward role. Yeah, yeah, just as a
0: bit of a defensive specialist, which is I don't think a yeah always a handy thing to have on your roster to break out. Um, battle for the th- uh, third point guard spot should be a little bit interesting because Queen Cook sort of got a, a training camp deal, and versus Delhi, uh two guys who I've, I've watched a, a very good amount of basketball play between the two. Uh, I'm I'm very intrigued to sort of who would get that spot. Lou, who would you be leaning towards to be your third point guard? Yeah. I mean, the guy who the Lakers, Lakers Laker. left behind um, for the championship celebrations <laughs> um, or uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Matthew Delavidova.
1: <laughs> Firstly, it, yeah, a in, little bit of
2: bias with the introductions
1: there. But. As I was about to say, in Delhi's uh, only NBA championship, I'm pretty sure he was a key part of the celebrations, worth pointing out. Um, <laughs> he was the celebration. I've, I've seen the photos. Um, but uh, look, the, the thing that comes down to it for me is Assuming Delhi to go down, um, I'd be taking Delhi purely because I think, what does Quinn Cook give you that Malik Monk doesn't do better is probably my thinking exercise there. Um, Yeah, obviously Quinn Cook's a player that I've respected and he's obviously fought for his his place in the league. But I think if you're going to have a third point guard, I'd probably then prefer to lean more... You know, the corporate knowledge of Delhi combined with, obviously, the fact that he's a more stout defensive player. Um, You know, I think that his days of harassing Steph Curry uh, up and down the court are probably behind him, but he can still be a decent half-court defender. Obviously, he can play make, and and when he's got his kind of slightly funky jumper going, um, he can still be a a good catch-and-shoot guy as well. So all all respect to Quinn Cook. For for me, I think there's just too much double up, and I'd prefer to see Monk get those extra minutes. Um, James, obviously... Got some thoughts on the matter? Uh, are you more of a, a Queen Cook man uh, or
2: a, a Delhi man? I saw Delhi against against uh, against my man Zhou Qi in the uh, whatever FIBA qualifying yeah. a couple a month ago or whatever it was. And he still had a little bit of juice. He was cooking us in the pick and cooking my my uh, cook, yeah cooking the Chinese team in the pick and roll. So he's still got a little bit of juice left. I, I agree with Lou completely. I'm 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 going Delhi. Um, yeah. I think yeah we'll be uh all in grants that, yeah,
0: I'd be enjoying uh, Delhi's more team-first um, play. Take nothing away from Quinn Cook, who was a, a key part um, of the latter stages of those Warriors teams and hit some big shots in his time. Um, but yeah, just a slightly more versatile player um, would we'll be going with the Aussie. Um, they did hold on to N- Nemeas Cato, who I'm not really going to spend a lot of time on, um, but does factor in to uh, some time, hopefully, to a backup big spot. Um, we'll have to see about that, but we'll probably move into, before we take the break, we'll get into some more team storyline discussions. Um, obviously, they've, the big Fox and Sabonis thing, this is what the Kings have now decided they're going with. This is what they're building around. That's what they decided to do when they traded Tyrese Halliburton. They're going around Fox and Sabonis. We've touched a little bit on Demona Sabonis. We haven't really talked about Darren Fox too much um, yet. James, Fox had a pretty uh, underrated and sort of under the radar uh, end to the season, where he was, you know, putting up some really really good numbers um, after what had been an incredibly inconsistent season from him. What are your sort of expectations for Diaron going into the season, and particularly sort of um, with this pairing with um, with Domas?
2: Yeah, I think um, yeah, it was really promising. The his his his. 10 or so games with Savonis or whatever it was. Um, showed some off ball game that he never really showed the time for. So I think, um, yeah, like, um, uh, and then I, I guess one of the other. Th- so I think there were two things from Fox entering last season that I think he still really had to add to, to reach his potential, I guess. So uh, I wasn't really thinking of the three ball, honestly. I was thinking of, yeah, just the. The off-ball game, and then defensively, and then I think he showed a bit of that off-ball game with Sabonis. But I really, I need a I need a good defensive year from him because um, he's got the tools as well. He's he's one of the most athletic guards in the league. Um, you know, quick hands, pretty long, quick as well. So he's got he's got the type of speed and stuff to where he could really help cover up some holes, which I think will be present throughout the rest of the roster with. Yeah, you know, guys like Barnes, Monk, Rookie Keegan, Kev, Kevin Hooder might be playing up a position, stuff like that. So, it's whether Fox uh, wants wants to do do it. it, That's that's the thing. thing. Yeah. But hopefully, with Sabonis coming in, and because you can really run an entire offense through Sabonis. And um, I think Fox really bought into that offensively. Like, he bought into Sabonis taking some load off him with, and then, um, so I think, um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, I just need a defense, a good defensive season. Um, uh, and I think, yeah, it will just show, not just effort-wise, because his effort can be a little bit spotty at times, but he needs to make some inroads on, you know, technique and stuff uh, because I don't think he's the type of guy where just effort alone gets him to being like a positive defender night in, night out, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I remember his first game with Sabonis dealer was just, you know, playing with him on the pick and rolls and just had, you know, Fox ice skating, trying to defend him. So, you know, I need need a bit more improvement um, with the technique stuff. So,
0: Yeah. Lou, I know we talked about it a little bit last season um, about not just the on-court stuff with Darren Fox, but a lot of the stuff that he was saying in press conferences and some of the comments he was making, um, which... We didn't think were sometimes befitting of a player of his stature. How are you feeling about the the keys being 100% handed to uh, Swiper Fox and uh, and yeah, sort of touch on some of that stuff that maybe we were talking a little bit about last year.
1: Yeah, look, I've always taken the mentality of if, a if you're taking the max contract and then B if you're taking the max contract and considering yourself the man and like you know where where you stand on the the Halliburton trade. Regardless, it's abundantly clear now that that was. What Fox wanted um, I mean quite frankly not just on the court but his attitude seemed immensely improved after that trade which seems weird because honestly Tyrese Halliburton seems like a really good guy to play basketball with and there's been nothing else nice said about I mean, maybe that's just a weird read from the outside but I can't poke a hole in why you wouldn't like Halliburton as a teammate and um, this is kind of this is the expiry date on this year. The end of this year is the expiry date on whether everyone's anyone's still going to have stock in him being a, the guy on a team. I think you know if this it very well could pay off, but if this year is a flop and this team doesn't at least push for the playoffs and he doesn't look like he could be the number one guy on a playoff team, again I'm tempering the bar of expectation there because we're talking about the Kings, not you know other rosters that are striving for for you know conference finals or, or championships. Then I think he's then going to start to be viewed in a different light, which is also dangerous for the Kings because if he doesn't look like a number one or even a number two, then that max contract can go from a promising young player to a, a burden really quickly. So particularly if Halliburton starts popping off for Indiana. Oh yeah, the the clock is the clock is started and he's got probably he's from the moment this year he's, uh, this year starts he's probably got six months to to really prove himself to the public and I, I think this is this is the year they've now got him a big man that can play make around him. Um, they've got you know. I'll shooting. Use this term lightly. Yeah, shooting. They've got they've they've cleared out the, the player that he effectively didn't want on the roster. Um you know, this is this is go time now for De'Aaron Fox who's who's talked the talk and, and now it's time for him to walk the walk as far as I'm concerned. Um Nick, I'm I'm gonna throw it back to you in a composite question. Obviously they, they chose to trade Halliburton when there was a glut of Guards. It always weirdly felt to me like Davion Mitchell was perhaps the odd one out. Um, he did stay on the roster and objectively he's maybe a slightly better fit with Fox if, if he can kind of guard up a position and all that kind of stuff. Yeah... What happens with Davion Mitchell this year is—is this—is do you think the way they've structured this roster is it any sort of acknowledgement that they think perhaps he's not an NBA starter, or is it just the way the the cards have fallen?
0: Yeah, I'm struggling to sort of see him as a like a long term shooting guard at the moment. Um, but perhaps if he was playing with a, you know a um, a point guard who had a, sli- a slightly deeper uh, bag in terms of uh, long range shooting, um, that might be a different story. Um, but I still see him as the first reserve, maybe called on the bench outside of probably Malik Monk. Those are probably the two guys I'd be bringing off the bench first. Um, you know, we'll talk about lineups a little bit later. But um, I thought Mitchell's end of the year was pretty good. He started to show a little bit more as an offensive player outside of just sort of catch and shoot threes. Um, that I know, James, you sort of you're quite a regular, sort of posting some clips about. Davion um, yeah. <laughs> and some stuff you know um, that he's working on in the mid-range look pretty good he's um, he's a really quick guy as well being able to use that acceleration and his strength as well um, I think is a really sort of it's a bit of a matchup nightmare because obviously you sort of look at his height and you think that you know he's a bit of a pushover obviously from what you see on the defensive end he's not but translating that strength to an offensive level I think is really key for him Um. If he's able to, you know, sort of iron out his shooting a little bit more, become a little bit more consistent on that end, then um, I do think that while he might not be starting games, he'll be closing a lot more games um, than sitting on the bench at the moment.
1: Yeah, look, I I, I do agree. I think, you know, he's someone that, and we'll touch on this a little bit later, he's someone that I have a lot of hope for. Um, I feel like everything there defensively, clicks and all we need is just a couple more things offensively to start to click into place and there were there were stretches last year yeah. where things looked really good he's uh, got
2: to watch that uh the jalen brunson like tape um because yeah jalen brunson showed um you know he's not the greatest three-point shooter either he's playing luka Doncic getting you know right in the pocket wide open stuff and he's still passing better, some stuff yeah, out. better off the dribble than, than yeah off better the off, off the catcher. dribble yeah but he started to adjust and then by the playoffs you know he scored twenty a game or something against, you know, the Warriors and the Suns or whatever it was, you know, something around that. So but just like you know, like you mentioned using the strength. And I think that's a guy you watch for that, you know, just you know, getting those little bumps in and then also that like, you know, the that, you know, pivot game, all that stuff. Like that stuff. And like, um, you know, Brunson's got a good MIDI as well. I, yeah, that's he just gotta watch all that tape. Once I think honestly, like like before Like before, Davion played NBA games. I was comparing more to like a Reggie Jackson or um, a Fred Van Fleet offensively. But now that, like now that I see Brunson, like I think that's 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 a really easy blueprint for him to aim for. Um, And he's got like like his deceleration is amazing. Like watch him on defensively. Watch him like close out, plant that foot, and then just immediately switch directions. Like you can translate some of that to offense. Then you know we're really cooking with gas. So um, yeah. One to keep an eye on.
1: Um, they've obviously reloaded the wing situation, uh, which is something that this team has not really gotten right consistently, um, basically forever, but at least you know in the last couple of years in this Fox iteration. Um, Keegan Murray's one thing. It's very hard to forecast out what Keegan Murray looks like on the NBA court, but objectively I think we have an idea that he should be able to contribute something as a rookie. I, I can't imagine he's one of these guys that's going to be buried playing 11 minutes a game. I guess with, you know, you've got to include, um, and I know I know James is not the biggest fan of him, but you've got to include Barnes in this equation because while they didn't acquire him, they've had so many options to trade him that they have actually made a cognizant decision to keep Barnes on the roster. That combined with obviously Kevin Herter, um, I guess Kent Bazemore comes into this category, uh, obviously KZ as we, as we talk about as well. Uh, have they acquired and they let a glut of wings go, most of which were not guys playing any more than about 25 minutes a game, but have, have they settled on the right wing rotation? It, it feels to me that they've ever so slightly favoured shooting over any other skill set on the wing um, Nick I, I guess from your end are you comfortable with this wing rotation around Vox and Sabonis?
0: yeah I think that was sort of the thing that I was looking forward to in the offseason it's why that I was a little bit disappointed that the whole DiVincenzo situation was blowing up a little bit because um, I wasn't sure what they would do next but I the herder trade I loved um, I've really liked Kevin herder and sort of as you mentioned before Lou sort of someone who probably hasn't got the greatest opportunity to shine alongside Trey Young. And obviously, with DeJounte Murray going there, that was just not going to happen. So, a good trade for him to really, I think, lock down a starting shooting guard spot in this league. And, you know, I sort of think about, think back to sort of the last time I probably really enjoyed watching the Kings and when they were any good, which I think would, James, I think eighteen, nineteen, when they were had won thirty games, I think prior to the All Star break, maybe seventeen, eighteen. Um, yeah, eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, yeah and yeah. they were just playing, just playing, playing like, like a, a lot of shooters. They were playing up and down, a real run and gun style. They'd lose, they'd lose some games sometimes, like just getting blown off the court with a lack of defensive uh, presence on the court at all. But I think that they've got the tools to blow a lot of teams off the court at the moment. And I think that prioritizing uh, floor spacing around um, De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis, I think, is key. Um, Having Sabonis sort of, you know, operate as a bit of a playmaker and have lots of shooters in the the corners, um, it gives Fox more space to not only drive um, with the ball in hand, but what James was talking about before, to be able to use his quickness off ball and cut um, because Sabonis will find you. um, If you are moving, he will reward you. I like the the versatility um, of this rotation now. Um, adding two guys who shot forty percent from the three last season in Monk and Herder, um, I think is is massive for this team. And I'm yeah, I'm genuinely looking forward to watching them sort of have a run around. What the rotation looks like for these wings in terms of who's getting more minutes or not. Well, Mike Brown, that's something he's going to have to work out in preseason and through the opening weeks of the season.
1: It is worth touching on the fact that all reports early from Mike Brown have been positive. Um, There's been several talks about this team's already gathered together and had some substantial team dinners and the like, um, which uh, from my understanding, they've been racking up quite a a tab on the Kings corporate credit card, um, which you love to see. But outside looking in, it seems like they're all heading in the right direction, Um, and for those that have found themselves in the... The Napa Valley region over this offseason, apparently it's all smiles in, in the King's roster. Um I, I guess the the big money question, right, and if you've answered yes on this, you've been wrong for fifteen years straight, but will they make the postseason? Uh James, I guess we'll kick off with you. I guess Jeez. so uh, uh, postseason. So play in, no playing, play, play in. Okay, uh, so uh, top ten. We're we counting the playing.
0: We, we're gonna count playing, sure. right. if right. the NBA are counting the play in then
2: we're gonna count the players. This team
1: needs to be graded on a curve.
2: <laughs> okay, yes. Uh, that, that's good. I think we've got to change it. No, the question... We've got to word it in a way that, you know, so the po- answer can be a bit more positive because I, I really didn't want to just start season preview. You're like, nope. You're like, no, no <laughs> chance. But they are not making... I don't think they're making it through to playing games. Although you never know, you know, especially if they play that up-running-gun style, you know, sometimes the three is just full. So, but, um, yeah, like, playing... um well yeah obviously it's a deep west um gee even this is is a tough one I'm gonna I'm a little bit of hard overhead but I'm just gonna say yes because you know we need some positivity around the Kings um so but like they they've got they've got a lot you know in their favor I think I do as like as Nick said I, I, I do like the wing rotation like the one thing they're probably missing is a legit specialist like all defense level point of attack wing defender like an Adenobi or a Wiggins that sort of thing but you know They're not the only team missing that, I guess. Um, I think you do have versatility with um, Okpala, Huerta, uh, Keegan Murray, you know, Metu, maybe, you know, stuff like that. Uh, Bays, Davis, stuff like that. So I think they do have a few options to throw at them. Davion even, honestly. Um, So, yeah, I think they do do have a decent chunk of uh, bases covered. So, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean... I guess you know. I, I look at, I look at a, a Portland who I think they're probably the, the main competitor. I guess for that. Okay. Because I think I think the other nine teams are. probably... I mean, the Lakers. You'll never know what's going on with the Lakers. I guess. Um, you know, if they're actually going to make Ross a, a spot up guy, I don't know if that's really going to work. But. Um, but I think uh, the way I view it is, you know, the other nine, it's mainly Portland and Sacramento fighting for that final play-in spot. And um, I think you can argue Sac, they've got, like, their roster fits a little bit better together. They might hit the, the ground running a little bit more. Um, Portland, like, I think they've got a few things to work out with their roster, They're like, you know, the hierarchy, um, just what off- type of offense to run, lineups, because they've got a lot of similar types. Yeah. Um, at their wing spot, and none of them are really perfect fits. Whereas Sack, I think you can see there's like that kind of you can just run and gun from day one. Space of four for Fox, you know, and then you yeah. So like then that might that's probably their identity the whole year. So yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go yes they'll they'll make the play in. I, I
0: think I think they might just do it. Um, if I'm looking at the standings at the moment from last year. I don't expect the Utah Jazz to be a fifth seed. Um, I expect them to maybe be a twelfth seed, um, particularly if another trade is made. Um, but you know, sort of look at the rest of the standings. I mean...
2: Sp- San Antonio, the obvious yeah, one, going to
0: drop. They they're going to lean hard into the youth, particularly with Murray no longer on the roster. Um, as much as I love watching Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell play, I don't think that's enough to get them a playing spot. Um, Portland, James mentioned, are going to be better than they were, obviously, with Lillard back, um, ready to go. Keen to see him and Ant play together. Um, and the other ones, I mean, like, yeah, the Lakers are obviously the biggest question mark coming off the back of last season. We don't, we're going we're gonna to enjoy doing that podcast, Uh Next, that'll be the, that'll be our last one. So, um, but then the, the other teams you sort of look at OKC okay, and Houston. I don't expect them to be good. I expect them to be fun, but I don't expect them to be good, um, particularly with the big old Vic uh, uh looking like a, a pretty tantalising number one pick option for next season. So um, I think the the roster's in a good shape. They're going to play an exciting brand of basketball, the Kings, and I do think that they're going to score enough points to try to get themselves in a position um, to be uh, yeah, getting into that ninth or 10th spot. We'll have to see. There's obviously um, been a great deal of change with a lot of teams in the Western Conference and potentially with some further trades to be made. We're not sure. Um, But, yeah, I think they're putting themselves in the best position possible to get a play-in spot, though.
1: I think the other thing is, assuming health, there's always going to be one of those teams above them that drops out. Um, my, my sneaky pick is I actually think there's a chance OKC will be a little bit more threatening this year than a lot of people oh, wow. suspect. But we'll okay. touch on that if we ever cover that division. Um, but that said, all the said, eggs in the Josh, Josh Giddey basket. basket. I love it. I'm probably the other end that I just I I'm completely checked out on these Lakers, and we'll circle back to that next week. But I, I think that if you stay healthy there is going to be a team above you, maybe two that has a, you know, someone has a season ending injury happens every year. There's usually multiple teams. So if you stay healthy, I also think a change in coaching staff is going to help. I mean, all respect to the absolute, you know, shit show that Alvin Gentry had to deal with. This was the same guy that was leaving press conferences saying, if you need me, I'll be on the couch drinking. Like he was so (laughs) done with this team. Again, I don't entirely blame him, um, but I think there's going to be a, a positivity and a bit of a rebirth. So I, I think that they're going to, quite comfortably be probably nine maybe eight um i
2: still sadly
1: probably don't see them winning the, the right combination of playing games together yeah
2: i, I think yeah. just quickly before we go like like lou mentioned the interest stuff. that just made me realize as well like mm-hmm. i think their depth is actually quite a strong point because um, mm-hmm. you've got starting level guys coming with the bench in homes and i think you know if davion if that mid-range that he showed the end of the season is is consistent then i think he's a starting level guy as well and then you know one of Barnes quarter and Keegan's going to come off the bench like they've got they got depth I like their third string pieces like we mentioned Keon Ellis earlier and I'd be more than happy with him you know filling in backup shooting guard you know back to back game that sort of thing so I think their depth is quite strong if you can like if you look at maybe the Lakers you know like I think this team is I'd back them to sustain a loss to a like a Fox or Sabonis injury much better than yeah like the Lakers yeah. or Portland or something like that so yeah
0: I think that's a a good call. Um, All storylines covered. Uh, We'll take a break and uh, come back with who we think are going to be taking home all the respective awards for the Sacramento Kings. Pretty good mix of players here. We'll be back soon. Pacific Post Ops is closely affiliated with OTG Basketball. They've got a fantastic podcast and YouTube network where you can keep up to date with all things NBA. Make sure you follow them on Twitter and YouTube at OTG Basketball. Back to the show, and
1: we're back talking awards for the Sacramento Kings. Um, the the big question, I guess, in everyone's mind, and it's really a two player race is the is the MVP. Um, you know, you two have both picked a different player. Um, Nick, with with Delhi likely off the board just due to a lack of minutes, who have you who have you gone with the Kings MVP?
0: It was really hard. Um, I did have to take uh minutes into consideration with this award, uh, unfortunately. But I'm leaning towards uh DeMondis Sabonis being the MVP of this team. I think the guy though that went out and to actively get someone who's already got two all star appearances under his belt, um, looked really promising. Um for his uh fifteen games that he did play um towards the back end of the season with Sacramento when he averaged, you know, just a tick under nineteen points, six assists and 12 and a half rebounds. Um, I think that he's got a real chance to be um, the MVP of this side just because I've still got a few question marks over um, the guy who James and yourself are backing towards. Um, I think I've seen enough out of Sabonis to know what I'm probably going to get from him, um, which I, I appreciate continuity when it comes to this sort of thing. I think he's going to really embrace sort of, I don't know, maybe having the chance to be more of the guy a little bit in Sacramento. Um I think the ball will run through him a lot more um, offensively. Um, and yeah, I think he's got a real chance to to be the most valuable and most impactful player um, on this team. I'm really looking forward
1: to sort of seeing his start to the season. So I, I guess I'll, I'll chime in there with the fact that I've gone Fox, but I've actually gone Fox as a result of playing alongside Sabonis. So I, I think Fox is going to have the counting stats to justify him being the MVP. I think so much of that is going to be because of everything Sabonis does. But in a traditional league sense... Um, you know, the, the guy with the counting stats is the guy that tends to get your all-star selections and, and by that logic, you know, it yeah. translates up to MVP. So, you know, echoing a lot of what you said about Sabonis, I just think that Fox is Fox and him, are, in theory, if they're locked in and playing the right type of basketball, it's, it's quite a decent, you know, on-court marriage, I guess. Um, you know, James, I, I guess from your perspective, you've gone with Fox as well, and that's probably no surprise to anyone that follows you on Twitter. But, um, you know... In, is this going to be a, a substantial leap? Is this going to be his, his first all-star year? How far are we talking here for, for De'Aaron Fox?
2: Yeah, I, I think it will be. Um, because, yeah, I just... I can't see this team working without, you know, that Fox leap that we talked about. Um, especially considering, again, like the max contract. Because we'll get into lineups a bit later. But I think if Fox doesn't take a leap, there's going to be some situations where I don't even want him closing games, honestly. Um, Spicy. that Yeah, Love so... It. Uh, he needs to take, take that leap for this to work. Um, but, I, I mean, yeah, I think as we've discussed already this episode, you know, the, the, the environment's there, I think, for the, for the breakout. So, yeah, I think, yeah, first-time All-Star, um, you know, yeah, 25-plus points a game, all that, you know, good stuff.
1: Most improved. Um there's lots of cand I found there was lots of candidates yeah. on this Kings roster. It was actually a, a quite a nice award to have to select for. Um Nick, uh you've gone with a new acquisition the uh, Sacramento Kings. Who have you picked?
0: Yeah, I've gone with Kev Herder. And I think that's sort of what I was talking about before, just having a bit more chance to to show his wares. I mean, he did start a lot in Atlanta, played, you know, seventy-four games last season. It's not like he wasn't on the court, but I just think he's got a chance to be taking more than his, what, sort of 10 field goal attempts per game that he was having with Atlanta. Um, you know, I think that having a, a really, really good shooter um, next to Sabonis and um, Fox is going to be really beneficial. But I also like what he offers as a playmaker. Um, I started a little bit more of a deep dive on some video. Um, shout out to the Sacramento Kings the film room on, on Twitter always provides some really good sort of deep dives on that sort of stuff, which uh, certainly helps the you know build a knowledge bank with a guy like Kevin Herder and yeah just sort of being really impressed by what he could do with the ball in hand a little bit more and a, something you don't get to see as much playing alongside Trey Young so I think he's got the chance to do that a little bit more playing alongside Fox and Sabonis um you know particularly in, if if Fox is taking the rest and maybe there's a lineup where Mitchell's playing alongside Herder and again you get to see some more flashes of that playmaking some of that in between game um he's got a good mid-range jumper and some soft touch around the rim. And yeah, I just, I, I expect to see more offensive opportunities for him um, sort of thrusting him, in, uh, you know, in front of uh viewer's eyes a little bit more, which I, you know, puts him as a decent candidate, I think for this award for Sacramento.
1: That's a good shout. Um, yeah. He's certainly a guy that could definitely pop this year. Um, a guy we've discussed a fair bit already. I've gone with Davion Mitchell. Uh, I think the, the growth room is there. You know, we, we've outlined this pretty clearly, I think, throughout the course of the podcast. Um, certainly one to keep an eye on and certainly one that I think Sacramento will be invested in him working out based on, uh you know, what the future roadmap looks like for them and obviously the asset they they invested in him. Um, James, absolutely no surprise who you've gone with here, mate. Uh, why don't you enlighten the listeners?
2: Yeah, yeah, Chima Manikin. um, So, yeah, I went with Malik um, and I think... He's gonna like like kind of similar to Huerter. like one thing on this team is they've got a lot of like the shooting is real, like Malik, Kevin Huerter, Barnes, Keegan Murray, that's four potential forty percent from three shooters on pretty real volume as well. And then if you if you're on a team like uh, Atlanta, you know, they're like, you know, the one five pick and roll. is really Huda and Bogdanovich and Bogdanovich and Huerter didn't share the court like that much. Like, so they were almost, like, I feel like the designated shooters. So, like, that almost influences, like, you know, you got a DeAndre Hunter, a young guy, a young wing who loves to, you know, eat in the mid-range. you got a John Collins who's, you know, a paint guy at heart. Um, there's kind of responsibility on Horton to really get those threes up, whereas yep. I think in the Kings he can really – because I saw this on the Lakers with Monk. Like, um, when he used to play in Charlotte, like, he was a lot more, like, get in the paint, driving, kick. Uh, you know, be more patient, you know, with the ball and stuff like that. Um, Whereas on the Lakers, you know, yeah, it's his job to take those threes. Um, Because no one else can
0: hit
1: them.
2: Yeah, he just had to chuck, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) a little bit. Um, But, yeah, like, so that's the thing. Um, Yeah, all those shooters, all those playmakers. So I think, yeah, both Kevin Hood and Malik are going to get to do more of their stuff. And then, um, yeah, I just think, like, Malik's really going to shine. And then I think as well, like I mentioned the, the two bigs, but I think, Uh, Even if Malik's handle doesn't really take a leap, he's going to just get to his spots in the, like, um, not just three at the rim, but also in the mid range a lot easier than he has previously. Like, um, he didn't really get to play that much with Anthony Davis in the end um, across last season, which is a bit of a shame because when they played together, I thought their chemistry was pretty pretty impressive. There was some nice, um, like, yeah, just so I think, um, yeah. With Sabonis and Holmes, um, and then also, you know, obviously playing a Fox and hopefully a fast system, which lets him just get threes by running the floor. Yeah, I think it's it's set up for him to, to take that leap to be not just, yeah, so more of a three-level scorer and then um, a better playmaker. I think his playmaker is really going to shine this year. And then also, yeah. um, you know, hopefully Fox and Malik challenge each other a bit defensively, keep each other accountable, that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think it's set up for Malik to, yeah, finally make that leap that I've been been begging for. So <laughs> yeah.
1: Moving on to uh the juiciest award, uh the Avita zubach unsung hero of the week slash year. Uh who's gonna accrue the most votes? Nick, you've come up with a name that we actually haven't touched on all podcasts. Um who have you got for <laughs> list?
0: I actually just changed it for when you probably screenshot uh, it. So oh, wow. yeah. um I did initially have uh Terrence Davis as potentially a man who could uh poll quite a few votes but i'm just the log jam of minutes for the wings i think could uh, cost him i think um he's someone who could factor definitely in that award and he's someone i still think has got a a role to play um on this king's roster um it doesn't feel like that long ago where he was a real uh you know gunner in um, toronto yeah Yeah. it feels like but it's starting to feel like a really long time ago um so i'm kind of came for a uh, bounce back season for him. But I did end up changing things um, slightly and going with Davion Mitchell as the guy who I'm expecting to get those votes just because he's one of those guys who I think is going to have some nights where his numbers don't pop off in the box score, but he's going to have some really key stops um, on perimeter players that um, lead to Sacramento winning some tight games. And that's something that, you know, if we're talking about a team that's wanting to push for a postseason um, appearances, wanting to start, you know, transforming their culture into a winning one, he's a player whose energy um, and defensive skill set is going to ha- help get notch up some wins and help build that culture. Um, and yeah, he's just a really entertaining player to watch. You'll have some nights where he can pop off off offensively, um, and I yeah, I think he's going to. Sometimes go a little bit underrated, particularly behind Fox and Sabonis a little bit. With Herder and Monk, maybe having some slightly better offensive nights. Mitchell's going to be tasked with the dirty work that you know may not get him, you know, uh, an all-star appearance, but it's going to get him plenty of Zoob's Award votes.
1: I Completely agree. Um, you know, I've gone with someone that we touched on a little bit at the top, um, but who we haven't kind of circled back to too much, uh, and that is Casey Okpala, um, who I think purely because as we touched on before just has a difference in the skill set that no one else on this roster really has. Um, So whether he'll get enough burn is always a question, but that is the nature of the Zoobs Award, is picking someone that maybe won't always get a lot of burn on paper, uh, comes through later in the year. James, you you picked someone who I think used to get flushed out a little bit more yeah. in this award, but uh, went underrated a little
2: bit last if year. He didn't, we barely if talked he didn't, about him on the pod, to be fair. Yeah. If he didn't yeah. get consecutive wins in like 2017-18, 2018-19 season... And,
1: yeah, I'm not sure we're actually podcasting oh, yeah, back yeah, then. But, he um, the, the, he would have. You know, in a hypothetical one. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, James, who have you got <laughs> go for the back lessons? lessons?
2: Uh, yeah, so i go going with Rashawn. Um, yeah, just... Uh, yeah, I mean, he, like, he really... um. Like, uh, just... So, the yeah, the Kings face grew to love Rashawn because stuff like the energy plays, offensive rebounds, um, defense. And I think kind of... Maybe the Kings just got a little bit, you know, used to that. So the the shine wore off it. But I think playing back up to Sabonis, like, I think he's going to, you know, maybe have a bit more motivation, I guess. Um, You know, he's had some... He had some, you know, he he had some injuries, uh, like some facial injuries or something last season or something. The eye or something he was rocking the mask. Um, you know, some off-court stuff ended his season early. Um, but I think yeah, he's gonna come back, you know, motivated and um, just go back to being that guy. And then, I mean, it's also set like the roster is so set up well for him offensively too. So many guys who can run a little two-man game with him. So, you know, I think he'll get back to doing what he's done most of his Kings career. It's just, you know, in comparison to Sabonis, who's a lot more ground-bound, you know, I think Rashawn's just kind of, yeah, like, you know, he's, like, kind of desperation on the court. Um, He's going to really show, and then, yeah, like, you know, Zub's awards, you know, you think of stuff like offensive rebounds, loose balls, stops, all that sort of, you know, beautiful stuff, and then that's where I think Rashawn shines. So, um, yeah, I I think... i got him uh you know he was he was yeah he was he was almost made in the lab for this award like so I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 rocking with my guy Rashawn. um yeah
0: yeah very eager to see his uh role going forward um you know whether they uh want to lean towards sometimes some two big lineups with him and sabonis i know oh, that's something that um james is pretty keen on if uh Holmes can knock down a little if a few corner threes, and uh, I mean he'd go from the Zub's award to the the MVP award, um very very quickly. Um, but no, Rashawn Holmes, uh, a very good shout from you, James. Luke lineups that we're having a look at for this Kings team. Uh, unlike some teams, it's there's a couple of positions that are set, but there's a few things that probably aren't as set. You and I have gone with the same uh lineup, so I'll let you uh kick us off with it. Um, who have you gone with in this starting five?
1: Yeah, um, so as Nick's mentioned, me and him have, have come up with the same whiteboard, which is Fox at the one, Herder at the two, Murray at the three, Barnes at the four, Sabonis at the five. Um, I don't know what you thought, Nick, but I thought that this this maximized what you could do offensively. Obviously, Sabonis at the five is a, not the greatest situation um, as far as being him being your best rim protector, but Herder, Murray, Barnes all have the... All have the Scope to be a slightly above average defenders at their position. Fox can be if he applies himself uh, as well. So I just kind of thought this was the best best mix between offense and defense.
0: Yeah, I like it. Um, I think that although I th- I think uh, Keegan Murray potentially projects as a long term power forward rather than a three, I think that having Barnes out there protects him a little bit um, in the early stages of his uh, rookie season, um, just to make sure that he's not getting completely demolished by some of the you know the guys will be playing at power forward um and some of these bigger wings um just to take that assignment a little bit more um that lineup may change through the season but i yeah i think that's um as you said it's a pretty good balance between um offensive uh, and defensive capabilities and um, gives Mike Brown plenty to work with. James, you've gone with some slightly different lineups. Yeah, you, is you that first kind of, one is that, know, the that the
2: starter or like the closing? Well, he kind of enabled me last week because you know yeah. you guys went with the starters and you just let me do whatever I wanted. So, <laughs> uh, like the first one is Davion Monk, Huda Holmes a bonus. And that's fine. Chan- there's a chance that lineup doesn't even get ten minutes all season if we're being really sick. But okay. um, but that's my that's my. That's at this stage, no leap from anyone. That's what I think. That's that's my what my favorite lineup would be with this roster. Okay. Um, the second one is a bit more realistic, and that's what I think the closing lineup is going to be. It's going to be Fox, Davion, uh, Kevin Corder, Keegan Murray, Sabonis, and I think, kind of, taking inspiration, I guess, from the Chicago Bulls last year. Like I kind of did a one one comparison for like this lineup and that that roster. So. You know, Davion Huerta, are kind of your Caruso and Lonzo, I think, you know, Caruso and Lonzo are probably a bit better. Like, I think Caruso, he might be the best backcourt defender in the league, I reckon. Um, yeah. Gee, we've got a few candidates in this uh, <laughs> Pacific division, haven't we? So I've probably yeah. pissed both of you off snubbing GP2 like that. But, <laughs> but Caruso is my pick. Oh, well, he's a former Pacific division yeah, yeah, sweetheart. Yeah. We, 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 we do love a bit of Alex Caruso. Yeah. Not as much. Uh, clearly, uh, the Lakers don't show him enough love for that. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, But yeah, so David Ojo, your Caruso and Lonzo are uh, you know taking assignments and then also being really good off ball, um, and then I think Fox is, Fox and Levine is kind of Fox needs to be like Levine, able to take a match up uh, when he needs to, and then just being more reliable off ball because I think yeah, Levine's taken a lot of steps defensively the last few years, um, and then you yeah, know Murray and Pat Williams, I guess, um, uh, kind of. I don't know how I f- forgot about DeRozan in this uh one on one comparison, so we'll ignore that. But um <laughs> yeah, but uh and then yeah, Sabonis and Vrooch. Um so but yeah, I yeah. think uh I think that framework kind of works. Um I guess yeah, and I, I agree with both of you that I like I think that's gonna be the start the actual starting lineup, the one the lineup you guys went with and um 'cause I and then also yeah, so Barnes at the four with kind of an undersized small forward's happened for for Sacramento. It hasn't really just ever stuck. So I think yeah, either um, Murray or even like if like if they start Barnes, they probably do to you know maintain trade value and yeah. all that sort of you know politics and stuff. Um, it'll be Murray, maybe even a Metu because we saw Metu start last year for mm-hmm. a bit. Um, maybe an Okpara even. So I think yeah, a bigger wing at the three, especially now that you've gone from Holmes to was undersized but you know just gave you so much around the court switched onto guards with ease um you won't be able to do that as much with Sabonis so yeah you definitely need a bit of extra I like Quarter at the two defensively a lot too so I think that's definitely the best uh the the likely starting lineup I think the closing lineup though um yeah I'm just yeah hoping you get Davion in there somehow even though yeah to be honest they might just close with that same starting lineup because they do they do love to just like you know, go five out, end of games. Yep. You know, like, it was what? Fox Halliburton healed Barnes, Rashawn. There's very little, you know, th- thought on t- defense for that closing lineup of that season. But it worked pretty well. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. I think that the closing lineup's an interesting one. I like the one that Fox Davion, Herder Murray, and Sabonis. I potentially, I'd i potentially look if I was making a change of that and going a little bit smaller and maybe putting Malik in there where Herder is. Okay. um, Oof, if, And going a little bit more... Mobile and a little bit smaller, Um but that's obviously that's very lineup dependent and who you're going against. Um But I do like maybe yeah Monk playing alongside those two and and seeing him do that. Would you have any crazy closing lineups with the Sacramento Kings uh, team, Lou? That maybe we haven't talked about I and mean, you're getting Delhi out there to close some minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I like the look of Delhi. Maybe maybe playing stretch stretch five just down the. Um, Realistically, no. Um, I, I think you know, I, it'd be, it'd be really fun to see them just go absurd. Um, and oh. you know whether you whether you contemplate giving letting a rookie, uh, oh, rookie yes. Barnes play at the fires. <laughs> <laughs> so not rookie, not rookie Barnes. Sorry, rookie Mario. Mario um, yeah. but again, I, I don't think. I think Sabonis is such a key part to what they do that he'll yeah. be he'll be stuck there. Um, predicted record. So before we jump into the numbers, so the Kings haven't won forty games since oh five oh six. How many times have they <laughs> won thirty five games in that in that period? Three. Yeah, points go to James. Four. And yet we've all predicted this team to top forty games. Yeah. um Nick, you've you've been the most positive in your outlook, unless you change the document. No, no, I haven't. Uh, what have you got? Uh, what have you got for the listeners here? Yeah,
0: forty three and thirty nine. Sort of where I'm. Um, seeing them uh, um, finish, um, which would be a um, better record than the Clippers had last season um, and not too far behind what uh, Minnesota you know, finished with, about well, 46 and 36. Um, so, uh, two teams which I expect to be significantly better than the Sacramento Kings this season. Um, however, um, yeah, I think that's a... I'm, I'm very boyish, um, on um, bullish on what this team can do, the new additions. Um, it just makes more sense as a roster, which the last two seasons, it hasn't. Um, I think that they're very much putting themselves in position, as I said, to to be a play-in team. And I think that that's maybe the the win-loss record they're going to finish with.
1: Yeah, look, I went with 41-41. and 41. It was very hard to figure here, um, splitting the, the difference down the middle. And obviously trying to think about what a play-in record looks like in the West. It's hard. You know, the East is strengthened up a little bit last year and and you've got to take that into account with these as well but um yeah i think this team will be in around around the mark i think anything north of 40 wins and they'll be relatively happy um as a franchise james you've you've split the middle between me and nick
2: i mean well first of all have we been like tallying these wins with the other predictions in a no no i guess it would only matter if
1: you were doing lead league-wide predictions
2: yeah Oh well, we'll just have everyone in Pacific winning forty-one plus, and then everyone else can kick rocks. But historically, <laughs>
1: historically strong division, so that yeah, might actually yeah, pay off. Right. Yeah, How many um, of the last Western Conference? How, how many consecutive <laughs> Western Conference championships have come out of this division? Jeez. Ah, uh, every year since what twenty <laughs> yeah.
2: fourteen? Yeah, how are you going? Yeah, no, nah, nice. Uh, yeah, w- yeah, we're all very. Geez, we clearly got some patriotic. Uh, Specific <laughs> division people here. No, nah, fair enough. Though it has been the uh, the division uh, in uh, the West, but um, yeah. So forty two forty. Um, I, I just think their depth is so strong. Like I really love that bench unit. I if you got that bench unit, um, I really think the floor is just set already at like like, and it's a good starting lineup too. I just think the floor is like like. It's got to be like 30, 35, just because I think the bench will keep you in in those games that the starting lineup doesn't do that great. In um, I really like the third string guys as well for a change of pace, like the York Parlours and the Keon Ellis and the Quaters. So I just think um, you know, yeah. And then, um, but yeah, I do I do remember looking at the records and just seeing these these teams like oh geez, like Atlanta just added Dejounte Murray stuff like that. So they're like even the you know. Borderline playoff. Ends are fairly strong, so maybe forty-two is actually a bit, um, a bit, yeah, optimistic. What did Spurs get into the play in last year? On was it like thirty-four? Thirty-four. Thirty-four. So, yeah. Honestly, if I'm if I can change my answer, maybe I'd go maybe like thirty-seven or something. Okay. You can't change your. Answer. Oh, I'll change my answer no, then. Thirty-seven. No. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'd probably go around thirty-seven, but I do think yeah, like they'll make the play and i think 37 is going to be really competitive honestly for that last three playing spots um just because of the depth of the league like yeah and then yeah it's um yeah it's a pretty strong league it's it feels like the strongest league that i've followed honestly mm-hmm. so yeah um yeah like i don't even think like i went 56 with clippers but that I, like that would be the highest that that would be my first seed honestly type win range and okay. then I think like I think a 48 or something is going to be top 4 so like based off that I think 37 is pretty pretty strong still so
1: yeah it should be tight coming down the stretch there and some of those some yeah. of those late matchups oh, or those even, even tiebreakers very juicy yeah yeah, yeah. no it's it's you yeah, <laughs> know poising out to be a really nice season which is great um most likely you get traded at the deadline um you two both went for the same name. I refuse to take the bait for a third year in a row. <laughs> who's getting traded at the deadline? Uh, yeah. If you're the ones fielding the call assistant and chief general manager of the Sacramento Kings, James and Nick. It's Harrison Barnes.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's the guy who's going to get traded. Um, it's going to happen. He will get traded at the deadline. He's
1: going to retire a Sacramento Kings. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: oh in the mud. Um, yeah. I mean, they haven't extended him, so yeah. hopefully that shows they're not so, I think, yeah, drafting Keegan Murray, like, surely... I mean, this is the guy who drafted Davion when he had an established backcourt and actually quite a solid backup backcourt too. But, but you know, you, you just got to hope. Yeah. If it, The fact that they went and drafted Keegan Murray, I mean, like, sort of says
0: that, uh, you know, they're looking towards the end of Harrison Barnes' time as a Sacramento King. And I think that for Barnes as well, I mean, he's done a pretty okay job sort of, you know, being there for Sacramento um, and I don't think he's done a terrible job repaying the faith that they've had in him it's just very two different timelines that they've got yep. now um, and I think that he's best served to go to a contender finally um, whether I'm not sure who that will be whether that's
2: There'll be a market for him. I would have like the the heat or the clippers yeah, the or something hit. like that. I've loved that heat fit for a while. You know, yeah, I wish it bad. could have happened earlier so they could get him. You know, that that heat culture, the body fat, all that you know stuff. But get him in a bit better shape. Um, is Barnes is Barnes a bit stocky? I don't pay attention to his midsection. Not, not so much the stockiness, but I don't know. Maybe they've got some like secret secrets they stuff want to get it, they there. want to
1: get yeah James wants Harrison Barnes to get jacked
2: yeah to get jacked and you know <laughs> get him a bit more of a speed somehow I don't know the, the new PJ Tucker yeah, yeah. basically you know, like you know they you know um and I I like, I like the fit like schematically as well and then like they, they do have a hole at the four not bringing PJ back so mm-hmm, yeah. maybe Martin's you know? starting at the four if they start this year
0: yeah i would be interested to sort of see what you'd get back from them um, I'm looking at some trades online one that intrigues me quite a great amount is uh, having another chat with Atlanta and seeing if you want to go get prized John Collins out of that lineup um, by sending across Barnes and some picks and, and whatever else that deal would look like I think that'd be quite interesting and then if you're and then having you know uh, sort of a a big three, at least in on the you know on the in the forward and centre sense of things, having Murray, Collins, and Sabonis, I think intrigues me a little bit. Um, it's a big front line, yes. Um, so whether that's the way they want to go, I'm not sure, but. Um, yeah, I think that he's the guy who's got the most uh currency, um, that they can trade, as someone who's, you know, offers a, a fair bit to to a contender still as a scorer. Um, not the worst defender, um, and someone who can go get you a bucket. Um, yeah.
2: I think also like uh like regards to Holmes, like they shot him last trade trade deadline right and didn't get the like they would have had gotten offers, but they might they might have had an asking price that's above that and then it's hard to see that, like, asking price. Like, I think, I don't know. I, I can't see, like, teams upping their offers no. on a Holmes backup center season. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, maybe they just relent. See, that's not working. Because if Holmes is only playing, like, 15 minutes a game, you know, you're paying him $10 million, Um Maybe he just wants to go. Yeah, yeah. that was
1: my thinking, was whether he yeah, just yeah. he gets boxed in and he just wants out. Uh. Yeah. Because again, I mean, he he's a he's a low level starting center, which sounds like a, a you know I'm taking the piss, but that's actually a compliment when you think in, in perspective. But uh, yeah, my 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 logic with going home is as much as Barnes is really the objective, obvious one is just that seems like the most combustible situation. Yeah, um, so whether whether he'll be happy, we'll wait and see. That's obviously part of the mind. You never know. Challenge. Maybe
2: maybe Delhi gets stuck, you know, being behind Fox and Davion. <sighs> yeah, and, no, you know he...
1: Delhi for Delhi. Send him back to send him back to Cleveland. Or, you know, Another small guard in that rotation. Send, uh, send him to the Warriors. I'd be pretty happy with that. <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, I'll take you know Curry. You know,
0: straight <laughs> swap for Jonathan Kaminga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe
2: yes. not.
1: Um, how much is how much is Wiseman's trade value sunk? You reckon we're at that point yeah? I, <laughs> I, I, I think so. Uh, that's a uh, before we get too out of hand. That that's all, listeners. We'll wrap up. Uh, what's been a very enjoyable episode. Uh, Nick, I'll, I'll throw you to you for the last question because I don't think James will like being put under pressure oh, like no. this. Now that we're all in a room together, yep. you've got uh, the big, you're playing big three basketball with the Pacific post-ups. Oh. Who's setting the screen? Who's, who's driving, who's who's taking the ball to the hoop and who's spotting up in the corner? Oh,
0: it's a, it's a very, very good question. Um, I have a very suspect three point shot. Um, I've, so I'm going to park myself in the corner. Um, yeah, uh, what what's now, your shooting
1: like, taking, I don't, nah, uh, maybe, maybe I'm not going to talk up my own shooting game
0: <laughs> uh, I'd, ha- I'd have you two play like a pretty decent uh, two-man game um, James got a better handle than me, uh, I'm uh, suspecting
1: uh, uh, I was going to say, is, like, Lou, you're a bit taller than I, I yeah, suspected Yeah, has got bigger biceps than my
2: thighs so, like, uh, <laughs> that, that, he'll, he'll, he'll I'd, I'd love to take to the be, compliment
1: yeah. here But I don't think James has hit leg day ever So it's probably more of an issue with James Than the, yeah, yeah, me being yeah, in yep, the gym Yeah. Yep. Um, but okay interesting Nick Boylan's going to be the the Ray Allen after the <laughs> after the missed shot kick out for three I I don't mind that at all. No uh, we'll, we'll I, be I look we'll, forward
0: to a Mike Brown call that'll be the, the, yeah, the highlight no, of the We'll
2: my career. We'll, be a, we'll be a Raptors style you know down and dirty offensive rebounds all that stuff.
1: You know with the Zoobs Award. we'll we'll be three Zoobs awards Yeah, three right? Zoobs <laughs> <laughs> awards. Winners. Uh we'll we'll finish on that very funny note. Yeah. Uh gents, it's been a pleasure. We'll be back with a what will be a very interesting Lakers podcast next. That's going
0: to be fun.